0: If you guys are new with us this morning, my name is Chris, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here. I have the privilege of leading us in the Word this morning. And so if you'd open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 10, we're going to continue our study in the book of Matthew. And we're going to be in verses 5 through 15 this morning. Uh, Last week we made this transition in the book of Matthew from this section that spoke of the the real public aspect of Jesus' ministry to the section where Jesus sort of begins to narrow it down, and then he selects these 12 individuals that he's gonna invest into, these apostles. These, these 12 men that he called, these 12 men that he empowers, that he gives authority to, and that he ultimately saves. And those realities for these 12 men, these 12 apostles, I want you to understand this morning that these are also realities for you and I. We're called. We're empowered. We're given authority by way of the Spirit. We've been changed and we've been transformed. We've been saved by Jesus. Jesus has saved our lives and he was betrayed for us. And Jesus, or uh, Matthew goes on to say, here in Matthew 10, um, verse five, it says, these 12 Jesus sent out, and then it says, instructing them. And so I wanna stop here this morning Because I want to talk about this word instructing. It's really important because what we're going to see in the remaining text are these 11 instructions that Jesus is going to give his first disciples, apostles, that he's sending out. And this text is full of instruction. Like you may even find more than I find in here, or you might whittle it down to fewer. But I want to call out 11 of them for the sake of our time this morning uh, in what Jesus is saying. So it says he instructs them. And the first instruction he gives in verse 1 it says go nowhere among the gentiles and enter no town of the samaritans then he says but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel 2 3 and proclaim as you go saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand 4 heal the sick raise the dead cleanse the lepers cast out demons 5 you re- you received without paying give without pay Six, acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. Seven, in whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. Eight, as you enter the house, greet it. Nine, and if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. Ten, but if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And 11, and if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. And he ends with this, truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Pretty harsh. Happy to be here this morning. All right. This is one of those passages that that sort of begs this question, like, what the heck? (laughs) what the heck? Do you know what I mean? Like, what do you do with these passages? Is any of this at all relevant for you and I today in 2020? I mean, look at the first instruction, go only to Jewish people. Like, what what do you do with that passage? I mean, it's like the anti-anti-Semitic text, right? Um, go only to the Jews. And, and what do we do with this discussion about tunics? Um, what, what about the discussion about belts, about sandals, about a staff? Like, is any of this relevant to us today? What about raising the dead? Should we all be able to raise the dead today? Is that the expectation that's being laid out for us? Uh, what about going out and healing leprosy? Does anybody here know that there's actually a cure for leprosy today? Um, so what do you do with these verses? And honestly, like, as I, as I was spending time reading through this passage, th- these passages this week, you get to text where you're just like, you want so badly to find application in them, and sometimes there's just no application except for the fact that there's a greater meaning, there's something else that's being, that's unfolding in the text for us that requires a bunch of cultural background and, and contextualization in order for us to even understand it. But I was thinking about it this week, like, I had a couple choices, either one, You go through each of these texts like bit by bit, give some historical background, provide you guys with a little contextual background about these passages, and then we finish our day off and we call it good and you guys leave. But I honestly think it would be a waste of our time to go verse by verse through that and just get that this morning because this passage isn't just to inform us. I actually think it's to instruct us. And so when we go through a passage like this, We need to see the things in it, but hopefully we can see things in it that actually help lead us to some sort of application. But I struggle sometimes when you get to a passage that has all this cultural nuance in it. Like I struggle to figure out how to help you apply it when I obviously wasn't written to you in American in 2020. However, as I read through this text, There's some definite overlaps that I think we can take away from this. But you get to passages like this, and you wonder, where's the application? And So what I want to do today is take these 11 um, instructions that, that we read, and I want to pare them down to five things. And I don't want to disregard them, but I want to pull these together and kind of label these in a way that's applicable to us and to highlight some of the distinctives of the ministry of the 12 that actually do apply to you and I today. And so I'll pare down the 11 to 5, and then we're going to look at those five things. So let's pray, and then let's get to it. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for each person in this room. Jesus, I know that you have something for us in your word. You say that your word Will be sent out and it will not return void, that it will accomplish the work that you set forth for it to do. And today we trust you to do that, Jesus. I pray for each heart in this room as I have no idea what they're coming from or what they're going home to, but I do know, Jesus, that it's not coincidence that we're here this morning. And so I pray in your name that your spirit would seal this time that you would move through your word this morning, God, to speak to our hearts, and that you would challenge us, encourage us, and equip us this morning through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys good? Okay, so the first thing, here's the first. Like the apostles, we too have been sent. So if you look at verse 5, it says, These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them. Um, This word sent means to depart for a specific purpose. It's not just to go. It's to go with a purpose. There's something that you're being sent to. You were set apart for something and sent to do something. And so if you look at verse five, again, Jesus gathers these 12. Last week, it was all about him calling them, and then now he's sending them out. He's giving them instruction of what they're going to do. And so they're departing for this specific purpose. And so what, what do you see when you put last week's passage together with this week? Like last week, Jesus calls his 12 apostles. He empowers them. This week, he sends them out. And again, I think this is true of us today. We're called by Jesus. We're empowered by Jesus. We're sent by Jesus. And you can see Jesus' sending of the 12 being affirmed in other places in Scripture, like in Jesus' high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, where Jesus prays specifically for the apostles. And he says in verse 18, as you sent me into the world... So I have sent them into the world. As Jesus was sent into the world, so he sends you and I into the world. And you see this pattern of how God desires to reach the world. For God so loved the world that he did what? He sent his son. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. And for Jesus so loved the world that he sent his 12. He sent them out but but that sending doesn't just stop at the 12 it does extend to you and I for God sent the son Jesus into the world and Jesus saved these 12 and then certainly more but in their salvation they're now sent out and by their word as Jesus goes on to pray in this high priestly prayer in John others will come to faith but we're to actually follow the same pattern saved to save save to send. And just like the 12, um, like Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, our Master, our our model, our pattern, we are a sent people. And so we too are sent. And and this is affirmed in so many places in Scripture, but to blast through a few, Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission says, go to all the nations in Acts 1.8. It says, you will receive power when the Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And it's also hinted on even earlier in the ministry of Jesus in this parable of the great banquet. And there's this instruction, like this is what kingdom life is like. This is what kingdom people do. And it says, and the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. So my encouragement to this morning to you this morning is like these 12 apostles that Jesus has called and now he's sent you too have been called and you've been sent. So that's the first distinctive. The second one is this. Like the 12, we too have a group. Like we have a people that Jesus has sent us to. Um, who were the people that Jesus instructed the 12 to go to? Any any guesses? It says in verse 5-6, Jesus instructed the twelve to go to, specifically, their Jewish brothers and sisters. And they were to only go to these Jewish brothers and and sisters, like these Jewish people of faith and lineage and background, to the people of Israel, those who Jesus refers to in verse six at the end of it as the lost sheep of Israel that we talked about the last couple weeks. And so, as I've already highlighted, by going to places like Matthew 28 or to Acts 1-8, this call, this instruction actually eventually does broaden in scope. It starts with the Jews, and then it fans out to the Gentiles. Eventually, it makes its way to you and I. And so to give you a glimpse even into next week's message, Jesus hints at this in chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. Jesus says, Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. You will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. And so you see this this hinting at the broadening of the scope, like even just a couple of verses later. So I want to remember what the model that, that Jesus is already pointing to in the Gospel of Matthew is, a model of ministry where he didn't disregard the nations that were coming to him like we've read in the last few months in the book of Matthew like about a Roman centurion who comes to him on behalf of his servant or Jesus getting into a boat and going down to the south side of the Sea of Galilee into the Decapolis into this Gentile territory and healing these two demon-possessed men and you see this model that, that Jesus is building but that is going to broaden from the Jews. It's going to fan out to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, and that should encourage us. But some of you could be wondering, as you read through this at this stage, why the instruction is here at all. Like, why does Jesus tell them to go just to the Jews? I mean, it's going to eventually get wider, but why is Jesus being so exclusive right now? And there's a couple reasons for this. One, uh, the first is, a theological reason. One, like his instruction affirms God's purposes and plans that salvation would come to and through the Jewish people. So Jesus actually says in John chapter 4, when he's in this conversation with a Samaritan woman by a well, he says to the woman in verse 422 that salvation is from the Jews. It comes from the Jews. The Jewish people are God's chosen people. They're the apple of God's eye. But it was never the plan of God for his salvation work to be exclusive to the Jewish people, but to actually be offered through the Jewish people, if that makes sense. It started with the Jews, and then it fans out, and and to all the nations, leading to this place where we literally are one nation under God that is not the United States of America one godly nation one nation under god we're one group of people from every tribe and tongue and nation gathered under jesus as our king and lord but there the, there is sort of a but here like salvation is offered to the jewish people first and paul makes this really clear in romans 1:16 he says i'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of god for salvation to everyone who believes and then he says to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, meaning to the Gentile people, which is sort of like this umbrella term for the nations. And so John writes in his gospel in chapter one that Jesus came to his own, but his own people didn't receive him. And so there's this theological aspect to this that, 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 that leads Jesus to send his 12 out to the lost sheep of Israel, to the Jewish people. That's one reason But then there's a practical reason for this as well that I'm kind of excited to talk about this morning, Uh, at least as I perceive, perceive this, and you can take it for what it's worth. But think about who the apostles were at this stage in Matthew's gospel. Think about who these guys are that Jesus is calling out. They're pretty green, aren't they? Do they have any experience at all? They're new. These guys are kind of confused that their whole world has been flipped upside down. They've left families. They've left businesses. Some of them have left both family and business. And they've got certain cultural backgrounds and teachings that have confused them over the years, especially as it relates to this Messiah that would come. Like the rest of their people can't acknowledge who the Messiah is. And so now they're being called and sent by this professed Messiah, And because of their background, all of them would have had certain issues with Gentiles and with Samaritan people. So, I mean, this this was something that Peter dealt with far after Jesus ascends into heaven. And it leads to Paul having to actually ridicule Peter in the book of Galatians because he wasn't willing to eat with them. He wasn't willing to eat with the Gentile people. And so when you take all of that and you bring it together and you consider it, I think we can practically suggest like at this stage that there's a reason in addition to this theological reason behind this specific ministry focus. And personally speaking, I I kind of understand this. Like Jesus was sending out this group to a very specific demographic and geographic region. So hear hear me out. First and foremost, Jesus did this for theological reasons because we're told way back in the book, right, in Genesis, when God tells Abraham that the nations will be blessed through his offspring and that he will bless those who bless them and curse those who curse them. And so we see all throughout Scripture that God pursues the Israelites. He protects the Israelites. He gives them chance after chance after chance even when they slip up, which they did most of the time. But that was God's plan, to move through the Jews. He gives them chance after chance. But his intention was that salvation would start with the Jews through Abraham, and that by way of the salvation and the atoning work of Jesus, all nations would then be invited into this blessing as well. But here's the deal, is that God calls us similarly He calls us to specific people in specific places. Like that's how God works. Many of you have jobs. You have families. You have affinities that that pull you into certain circles so that you're surrounded by specific people, many of which you're surrounded by, I am not. And he, he calls on you. He calls you to himself, and then he sends you to them. Many of you know that for almost 15 years of my life, I ran the skateboard ministry. And it was a specific call to a specific culture that desperately needed Jesus for a large portion of my life. And in order for the culture to be reached, like God actually raised up people from within it. Like I watched revival take place in the skateboard industry. Professional skateboarders coming to faith in Jesus that were in turn taking what Jesus had done for them being called to the Lord, and then being sent out to go take the good news of Jesus to those that were in the same sphere, in the same culture. And here's the reality, that my involvement in the skateboard industry, it shaped the way I talked, like, dude, bro, gnarly, rad, right? It, it totally transforms you. It, it shapes who you are. It shaped. Uh, uh, um, the, the way I dressed it shaped the way the things we were into it even dictated the cities that my wife and I lived in like our eventual move to San Diego in 2005 was to immerse ourselves in the hub of the skateboard industry and eventually God does what three years later he calls us to Idaho to uproot out of the skateboard world to come to little north Idaho at that time which has changed a lot in the last 12 years And he asked us to plant this church. And so once again, he asked us to go to a specific people in a specific place at a specific time. And it just so happened to be the city here in North Idaho that Heather and I grew up in, in a culture that Heather and I knew well, in a place that we knew well. If there's anybody that understands the the cultural nuances of North Idaho, we get it, right? My wife was born at KMC. The same doctor that delivered my wife delivered my youngest son Jonah. Like, we get it. We're, we're rooted. I remember the days when downtown Coeur was ghetto. Does anybody else remember that? When, like, kids weren't supposed to go downtown on Friday and Saturday nights because something's going to happen. I, I remember when houses downtown sold for $80,000. Um, that was a long time ago, and now they're, like, 10 times that. I remember when Silverwood was just, like, a restaurant and a train ride and an air show. And and now it's this massive theme park. But there's something about Jesus raising us up in a culture to get to know it, to be in it, but not of it, as Jesus speaks. And then not only calling us out of it to himself, because he sort of does this weird, this weird switch, like calls you out of it to send you into it, but he calls us to himself to send us back out into it and when i think back on my past i know that i wouldn't have been ready to play anthem before 2010 i wasn't there i was a skateboard kid like that's all that we cared about I, i had long hair all i knew was the skateboard world like after 15 years of solid training on the front lines in the skateboard world and by the grace of god he knew that Heather and I had to go back to a place in North Idaho that we knew well to a people that we loved dearly to plant a church that would take root in this city for years to come and generations to come. And over the years, like I said earlier, even this church has morphed and the church has changed. Like it started as a church of skateboarders, a bunch of ragtag kids. Like we were known as the skateboard church in town. We had all the kids that didn't fit into any other church. And it's evolved over the years as we've evolved. And the, the, the church we are today, I wasn't ready to pastor in 2010. I'm not sure I'm ready for it now, let alone 10 years ago. I really wasn't for it. But God continues to start with a group. And as that group is taught and sent, the, the mission continues on until you've reached many that you never thought you'd see reached from the beginning. He continues to move through you and morph you, change you, immerse you in, in, in circles and groups of people and family and friends, so that you are the sent ones. You have to get this. You aren't just called to him, you're sent. And here's what I know most about uh, uh, just, here's what I know about most of you, not all of you. Maybe there's a few of you in this room. most of you haven't been called to plant a church. And I get it. Like some of you in this room maybe haven't felt called to do anything. But here's the truth, is that you have been called and you've been called to a place and you've been called to a group of people. Uh, In his Mars Hill address in Acts 17, Paul says that God has determined the times and the places that we should live. And you're here in Coeur d'Alene, and that is not an accident. Like you brush shoulders with the same people day in and day out, and that's not an accident either. Where you work isn't an accident, where you play is not an accident, who you've met is not an accident. You have this unique makeup, and you have this unique gift set that God has given you. You have this unique background, you have unique abilities that serve you, and the situation you're in perfectly far better than I could ever serve you. And the problem though is this, Like, we consider all the people that we see in the city as a whole, and then we sort of step back and we just conclude that I'm never going to reach all of them. It's just too many. My challenge for you this morning is, what if you focus on one? What if there's one? One person that God's called you to, not to the exclusion of everybody else, but there's one specifically that is on your mind right now. One, that you have a relationship. One, that maybe maybe they're close, maybe they're not, but somebody that the Lord has identified. Somebody you feel prompted to, to, to take that relationship deeper with. And what happens if you just focused on one and you didn't treat them like some project that the Lord gave you, but a person that God has actually placed in your world in your geographical place and time for a very specific reason and what if you took your phone out right now and you set some sort of daily notification that would remind you to pray for that one person and what if you committed to god to take things deeper with that individual that what what if what if you over the next 3 months you're going to intentionally invite that person to do something, to introduce them to the body of Christ. And it it may be Sunday. For some of them, it may be kind of a stretch to bring them to a church service. So what if you invite them to coffee? What if you take them with other believers to go do something? What if you have them over to dinner? What if you just go hang with them? What if you were sent to one person? One. The third thing, we don't only have a group, we also have a ministry. So you have a group that God's called you to. Right now, it's Anthem Coeur in 2020. This is our community of faith. But you also have a ministry. If you look at verses 7 and 8, it says, And proclaim as you go, singing, The kingdom of heaven is at hand heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. And so there's the ministry, like this proclamation ministry that Jesus gives to these 12 apostles. It's both proclamation and its deeds, right? They're saying something. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, and they're doing something, right? Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, So it's this proclamation ministry, deeds ministry, healing ministry, this going out ministry. There's a ton here in these two verses. But I have one major takeaway that I want to emphasize before we move on as related to this. And that is that our ministry to the group that God has put us in the midst of needs to be holistic. Like it needs to be a ministry of life, but it has to have a message Somebody once told me, like, they, the, this whole idea of, like, I'm just loving people, right? And they're, it was like, that was really big 10 years ago in the church. Like, we're just loving people. I'm not ready to share anything with that. We're just loving on them. And somebody once looked at me in the eyes and was like, oh, you're going to love them all the way to the gates of hell. And I'm like, that's pretty intense. Like, at what point do you speak truth? At what point do you actually share the gospel message of Jesus with them because the, the instruction Jesus gives to his apostles is, say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then do all these things which are evidence to the fact that the kingdom of heaven is here. And so we need to be, have a ministry of life and message, a message that offers, is both offered in word and a message that's offered in deed, and deeds that actually bear witness to sharing something. We have to be proclaimers, and we have to be practitioners. I love what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 2.8. He says, So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Because you had become very dear to us. James, the, other, the, the, the half-brother of Jesus, adds, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So, Perhaps you you will never heal the sick. Anybody here ever seen somebody get healed? Like maybe a handful of you. Maybe you'll never see that. But you can care for the sick, can't you? Is that possible? Can you visit the sick? Can you pray for them? Like we all can take that steps. And perhaps you'll never raise the dead. But you can tell people about the one who can, Right? We can proclaim who it is that can, has the power to raise the dead. And so our ministry needs to be holistic. It's both in word and it's in deed. Fourth, in our sending, we too have to be aware of the dangers and recognize the joys. And then Jesus goes into this other list that he gives his apostles, these dangers, sort of. He says, uh, you can see four of them in this passage. The first was a temptation towards riches, right? Specifically, taking pay for healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing lepers, and casting out demons. Like, think about the money that they could have made off those things and that many tried to make in this day and age off of those things. I mean, name your price. You could get whatever you want if you knew that this person could raise your relative from the dead. But you can build a ministry around this influx of cash. And that's why Jesus says at the end of verse 8, you received without paying, give without pay. But there's a temptation towards that in us. The second temptation or danger is this danger of self-reliance, like reliance on the things that we see in verses 9 and 10. He says gold, silver, copper, extra tunic, sandals, or a staff, like What in the world does that mean? What's Jesus talking about? But then notice at the end of verse 10, he says, the laborer deserves his food. In other words, like you should be taken care of by those you minister to, they should take care of you. Like if you labor amongst them, they should take care of your needs. Like don't be self-reliant. So on one hand, you shouldn't peddle yourself around to the highest bidder and try to just wield the gifts of God. But on the other hand, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be supported either third third danger is this danger that comes by resistance specifically resistance by the people that you go out into so these 12 apostles face resistance and it's suggested at the end of verse 14 it says if anyone won't receive you if anyone won't listen to your words and we know that will happen don't we are there people that will not listen to you, that will not receive you as you go out proclaiming these things, as you go out even loving on the people divinely that God has called you to love? But even if your words are matched with deeds that are amazing, you'll still be resisted at times. I mean, the greatest resistance I have seen in my life have been in the moments when you're divinely moving in the gifts or the talents or in the right place at the right time that God had you in, and you get the most resistance ever. I mean, in the skateboard world, it was easy because we walk onto a skateboard into a skateboard park and you get all the haters, right? It was constant resistance. Will I continue to proclaim the message of Jesus despite what they say or think about me? Will I follow through? And the apostles, Jesus knew that the apostles would have the same struggle. And the the danger of this resistance, I think, oftentimes leads us to this place where we think that we aren't called and we weren't sent. Like we face some sort of resistance, and then now all of a sudden it's like, I shouldn't go to this group, and in fact, maybe I should even tap out. Like there's this danger that, that, that we go to them, and if they don't like us or they don't receive us, then we're not called to do what it is God's asked us to do. And I want to remind you this morning, regardless of what it is God has called you to, sent you to, you are going to face a lot of resistance. Like, that's just part of it. It's par for the course. The fourth thing, the fourth thing is the danger of commitment or the lack thereof, this danger of not following through. And so we, we meet resistance and we think, like, wrong idea. I'm going to tap out. I'm going to go do something else. And then it leads us to not following through. It's interesting, in this day and age, like two weeks ago, I was in Colorado with 50 pastors from around the country, almost all of which are extremely discouraged and don't feel like continuing on in ministry. These are pastors of churches of 10 to 20,000 people. Go on and read the statistics right now that 70% of pastors in the United States are looking for other jobs because they're tired and worn out because of the toll that 2020 has taken on them. Now, I want you to think about this, because if 70% of the pastors in the United States bowed out and chose to walk away, gosh, that just like angers me inside. Because we've been led to a place to believe that when there's resistance, when things aren't going as planned, when they're not how I would want them, and they don't meet my expectations, then I won't do it anymore. And actually, it's what pins most of the American church from just being obedient, period. We won't be the sent ones, because when we're sent, either I'm really uncomfortable and they're going to hate me, or I'm going to do something that they don't like, and they're going to resist me. And so I'm just not going to do anything at all. And I want to both encourage and challenge you that that's the greatest lie that you can buy. God has called you and God has sent you for a very specific time, in a very specific way, in a very specific place. And each of you sitting in this room Can recall people that you're working with, that you're friends with, maybe people that you're sitting with right now that you know they do not know Jesus and you know that you have this golden ticket of sorts that you've been holding on to, and that God has sent you maybe not to the 150,000 in Kootenai County, but he's sent you to the one that you sit next to day in and day out at work every single week. What does it look like to make that one a priority? And then there's these dangers of of riches and and self-reliance. Like, I want to be taken care of and I want to have comfortability. I mean, this is why Jesus is challenging them to leave it all behind. Disregard all that stuff that everybody else gets lost in. Resist all of those things because if you get lost in those things, those things will become the priority to you. And I'll tell you, I say this a lot, but at 42 years old, those things are way more important to me than they were at 25. Living in a tiny apartment in the ghetto in Southern California so that we could reach skateboarders. Like, I'll tell you what. Like, the lie we buy is that life is on this upward trajectory all throughout life. And so at 18, we're told, you won't always be broke. Just grin and bear it because one day you'll have a lot. One day you're going to have the career of your life. One day you're going to have the perfect spouse. One day you're going to have perfect kids. And what you realize the older you get is that that's just a lie. (laughs) Life is not on the upward trajectory in the material sense all of the time. And there are many people around this world that are literally leaving the upward, upward trajectory behind to be sent and do and be obedient to what God has asked them to do. That's countercultural to what I was told when I was 18 years old. For some of you, maybe God's calling you into something that provides more. For some of you, may you not think that God would never call you to leave it all behind and to follow after him and walk in obedience because you're sent. You're called and you're sent first and foremost. The fifth thing. And this is the last distinctive from this passage. Um, and that's it. We too have a savior. I mean, he ends on this really grim passage, right? He sends them out. He it sounds all like pretty awesome, right? Like preach the kingdom of, of heaven as a hand, like heal the sick, cast out the dead yada yada don't take any of this stuff behind like for any of us who are just kind of like sadistic radical personalities you're like yes you know like i'm leaving here today and i'm selling my house i'm literally cashing out of everything and i'm following after jesus but he ends on this last passage in verse 15 and he says truly i say to you it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of sodom and gomorrah than for that town the town that resisted them. As many of you know, in Genesis chapter 19, there's this record of this, these of Sodom and Gomorrah, these cities. And the, these cities are like divinely, uh, like this divine and holy judgment comes upon these cities and they're burned down. And then here in, chapter, in verse 15, Jesus says, things will be worse for the towns that reject the message and the ministry of the twelve, than they were for Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Why will they be worse? And I think it's because they're receiving a greater and more full revelation by way of this greater and more full message proclaimed by a group that was sent out by the Messiah himself. They're literally rejecting Jesus. And as Jesus teaches elsewhere, he says, to whom much is given... Much as what? Expected or required. Like it's a pretty sobering ending, but it's also an ending that only makes the good news that much better for you and I. Because we do have a Savior, a Savior that was sent in love to all people to save us from that day that is to come. And so we, like the apostles, we have a Savior and he has this divine ability to save and it's hinted at in this verse. Like how would Jesus know this unless there was something entirely divine about him when he says, truly I say to you. Who speaks like that? God himself speaks like that. He's God in the flesh. And this is why Jesus has come. He's come to save you from the day to come, like when there will be this day of judgment of the living and the dead, an anthem, that's why we're sent out. That's why we are the sent out one. This is why we're sent out to a group. This is why we're given a ministry, and this is why we're given instructions to be aware of the dangers that were the pitfalls that we'll walk on, and to focus on the joys so that we can go out and tell people about the Savior who can save them from that certain day that's a huge call can you go to one is there one person i mean that last verse is such a sobering reminder that 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 we have the savior but jesus so loved the world that he sent you and me to one person and so how many people in our community would be reached if 400 in this room? Made it a priority to go after one. 400, right? <laughs> but then those 400 go after 400. And those 400 go after 400. And one of the things I love most about our county is that if you live in a metropolitan area, and you're involved in a church, and you have any like, evangelist in you at all, you're like, how can we reach 5 million it's impossible. And I sometimes think, how can we reach 150,000? Very easily, actually. Very easily. It doesn't take that many. If there's 20 to 30,000 people in Coeur d'Alene that are professed believers and involved in a local church, how long would it take to reach 150,000 people? You tell me. Not very long. But it does involve reorienting your life to make somebody a priority. Somebody that doesn't know him. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up here. Would you guys stand with me? The encouragement for you this morning. From this passage, Jesus sends out the twelve. Do not go in the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The encouragement was for us that it didn't stop there, right? Is that not like good news? That it started first with the Jews, but now it's extended to 2020 here in North Idaho in the United States of America for this day. That the flame that was ignited and Jesus has continued to be fanned over 2,000 years. And what a cool thing that we have this honor and this privilege to be the ones who continue to extend the flame, to continue to fan it. And there's two people in this room I want to pray for this morning. Is One, there's some of you that don't even know what it means to have Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Like, in you know, all honesty, maybe you're here this morning because God wanted you to hear something. And he's prodding in your heart that now is the time. Don't wait until tomorrow. You're not promised another hour. Why would you waste the moment he's given you? Surrender your life to Jesus. But the second person in this room, which I think involves the majority of you in here, is what about the one? How many of you by a show of hands right now can think of one person that you can be praying for? Just one. Raise them high. Seriously, be bold. Come on. Don't be ashamed of that. I want to close by praying for you this morning. That we would not let the one go. That you would bear the responsibility of knowing you are called He's called you to himself by his grace. He's saved you and set you apart. But he sent you to proclaim the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus. He sent you to tell others. Would you bow your heads with me? If you're in this room and you're just feeling like, man, would you pray for me? Like, I know there's the one. I don't know how I'm going to get there. How this is going to happen, but I desperately need Jesus to empower me, strengthen me, like give me divine perspective and wisdom to reach that person. Would you raise your hand? <laughs> Keep your hands up. We're not ashamed of that. <laughs> Keep them up. The second person, if you're here this morning, you've never entrusted your life into the hands of Jesus. would you raise your hand and acknowledge this morning that you are a sinner that is lost that is in desperate need of being saved and rescued and Jesus is that rescue this morning he's promised to not only forgive you of your sins but to set you apart for his purposes and if you're here this morning and you'd like to give your life to Jesus would you raise your hand Jesus, I thank you for this group. What an amazing thing it is to be gathered in your, with your church, with your people right now, Jesus. And we just acknowledge that it's a privilege to be called yours. Lord, it's a, it's a privilege to walk with you, to know you. And Jesus, I'm praying for each person in this room. As I know as we leave here, God, it's so easy to get back into our lives, back into the grooves, and fall into these dangerous traps that we even— read of in this passage that Jesus warns the apostles of and tries to protect them from. And I pray this morning, Jesus, for each of us that we'd hold on to that one and begin to seek you and ask that you pave the way and make the opportunity for that person to come to know you, Jesus. And I pray that people in this room would be willing to pray with people. They'd be willing to walk with people. They'd be willing to sit with people who are sick and hurting and dying. They'd be willing to say the hard thing sometimes. God, they'd be willing to be sent. And I pray, Jesus, that out of the 400 that will gather here this morning, that there would be 400 whose lives would be blessed as a result of these people giving up their own time and their resources and, and being inconvenienced enough to make somebody else a priority in their life. We pray that for the next four weeks, even leading up to Christmas, God, that there just be this amazing outpouring of generosity and blessing from our lives into others, that we would utilize this season to point people to the true meaning for the season, God, to point people back to you. I thank you, Jesus, for your work in our lives, and I thank you for sending us, and I pray in your name that we'd all know that it is by the power of the Holy Spirit that this work is done, and we entrust our lives into your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.